0: Earth 2, a world much like our own, yet slightly different. There, young and old have joined forces to battle evil, the newest heroes joining the champions of the Golden Age, presenting Tales Tales of the the Justice Society Society of America.
1: Kind of the problem with this issue is that, other than that that opening splash page, that's the only Power Girl you get in this whole issue. And I just, you know, for my
0: sixty cents, I need more tits than that. You know what I mean? Yeah, they don't even show. I mean, Black Canary and Wonder Woman are on that front page too. And God, if you think fishnets and boobs, you think Black Canary. Good God. Yeah, but
1: you can't even see her because. You got Wildcat's, Wildcat's massive head right in the way.
0: <laughs> oh, God. But you know, it would have been really hard to explain Power Girl in this story. <laughs> That's true. Oh shit! Are we ready to get into this? Uh, uh, now I am. Awesome. There <laughs> Here you go. I figured you like get that. Get that out of your system. Yes. <laughs> <It's>, uh <laughs> at Sam's Cola. Ooh, God Almighty. Hey, it's $4.50 a gas because yeah, it's,
1: it's rotten your innards out. That's why you could clean a car engine with that shit. All right, here we go. <clears throat> Welcome to episode 12 of Tales of the Justice Society of America. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoy the show. So, I am Scott Gardner, and I am Michael Bailey. All right. And that's our show thank you no <laughs> let's see what the hell do we want to do for an opener well actually we still have a mountain of mail to get through so uh, so let's read a few of these what do you say
0: let's go for
1: it we got another email from our buddy Jack Perez uh, he says episode 8 once again says hi Scott and Michael your podcasts keep getting better and better well, what was wrong with them to begin with Power girl, again, Valerie Solanas. Uh, for one for some yeah, for one some choice dialogue,
0: then back to being great. Uh, am I reading that right? That's what he wrote. I, I don't know if that's what he means. We're not making fun of you, Jack, No, I'm not. I, I I'm
1: sorry, I can't understand what, what, what he was going for, but okay, I agree completely, one hundred percent. Moving on. <laughs> Are you guys going to follow this into Adventure Comics? Cheers, Jack. Absolutely, we
0: are. Um, yeah, after After All Star, it's Adventure, and after Adventure, it's All Star Squad. Yeah. We can call, yes, we can call it
1: short. Sure. And yeah, we are we are going on to that because uh, yeah, yeah, love 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 both those books. And yeah, we'll be yes. we'll be covering peripheral stuff as the, as a matter of fact, this episode. Is yes. uh, is a peripheral book so yeah we will be covering uh, other adventures but basically I think that the only thing so far that we've found that we both agreed we're not really going to touch on is the justice society crossovers with the Justice League in Justice League. And we'll even eventually violate that rule a little bit when we get to the Justice League. What was the name of that story? Crisis on
0: Three Earths or some shit. Where it was like. Crisis on Earth Prime? Yeah, that's it. That's it. Where the All Stars were in the Star- and yeah. JSA. Yeah, that's the one. Mm hmm. But what I think we should do, and I'm throwing it out to the audience as well as to you, is maybe right between where we make the handoff between Adventure Comics and All Star Squadron is maybe just read through them and just do a catch-all episode. Here's what I wouldn't mind doing, and this this is me tipping my hand, and this is me probably,
1: unfortunately, probably soliciting a little bit of angry mail. But this here's what I'm thinking: when we get to the post. Dylan era I would be willing to cover that stuff here my problem is I just can't stand the Dylan stuff I'm sorry I know he's got his fans I know he was a very dedicated very solid artist I just can't stand that shit I really can't so I'd be willing to pick it up you know, with like the first Perez art, because I love that stuff. Or like going into what was it, like one ninety six through one ninety nine or something? That that really great story. You know which one? With the Ultra Human? Yeah, that's some damn good stuff. I for that. But then again, all of that stuff has already been covered by um, um, Tom Caters. on tom versus the jla and i just soon refer people to that because that show is fucking hysterical and tom Tom did a just bang up job with that stuff so i don't know i'm torn but like you say let's throw it open to the listeners and you know you guys write in and let us know what you think you know i i if you want us to cover it i'd be more than happy to if you if you just assume we stick to what we're we're already doing i'll just assume do that too it's totally up to the listeners
0: Alrighty, next email is from John Wilson to us. <laughs> Can I start by telling you your opening theme is beyond awesome. I don't know where you got the music, but I absolutely love it. It makes my skin tingle every damn time. Well chosen. Uh, I will I will say that was all Scott. Uh, he, he gave me one choice, uh, which was actually the theme to Sky Captain and the World of Tomorrow, which we felt had the gravitas mm-hmm. of, of the golden age. But the one we're using now, well, which, uh, are we are we revealing it? Here's what I'm thinking.
1: Here's what I'm thinking. This could actually be contest worthy. The okay. problem is, I'm one broke motherfucker, and I don't have so anything nice. to offer at the moment as a prize. But I will scrounge something from my own collection to give as a prize that i would hope would be decent enough if someone can actually tell us what what our theme is somebody out there has got to know in the world of geekdom there's got to be somebody that can go ah i know that tune it's obscure it is from a superhero movie and that's all i'll tell you were you surprised
0: that I recognized it?
1: Yes, I was. I, I'm always surprised when anybody recognizes it. But it is—I agree with uh, with John. It is a beautiful piece of music. I've always, always liked it, and it is probably the best thing from that movie was was the score. And it was a bitch for me to track down. And it is—it uh, was one of my holy grail because I'm a score. I don't know if I've mentioned it on this show. I collect movie scores and this was one of my holy grails for a long time trying to track this down and i never really believed i'd ever find it and when i found it it just completely blew me away so yeah i'm 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 loving using it and uh, and giving it some more
0: airtime yeah we use several pieces of that music from time to time mm-hmm. or from that score but there was another part of that that film that i really liked but i'll get into that when somebody guesses <laughs> where it comes from because wow she was she was really cute. <laughs> um, Scott, it's nice to meet another fan of Star Trek the Motion Picture. So many times I tell someone I like the film, I feel compelled to apologize for my like of the movie because it is not by any means made up to the expectations of the 2010 moviegoer. At which point I just have to point out fuck the 2010 moviegoer, okay? <laughs> It's one of the last great cinematic visual greats. Post-Star Wars sci-fi seems to be all about the action and the swashbuckling and the space battles. And I love that stuff. I do. But I also really like the cinematic grandeur of Star Trek The Motion Picture. The excitement of getting the crew back together after a ten-year separation. So kudos to you. Thank you, John.
1: I really, 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 really appreciate that. I do love that movie. As a matter of fact, and this is the shameless plug department, um... If you haven't already, check out um, Two True Freaks that I do with uh, with my uh, childhood best friend, Chris Honeywell. And we did an episode not too long ago. I wish I could tell you the episode number, but I forget what it is. But we did a special last year um, that is basically my love letter to Star Trek The Motion Picture. So if you're a fan of that film you will enjoy that episode track it down and give it a listen and uh, and give me some feedback i'd love to hear what you think about it
0: made me rewatch the film so there you go i, I had a number of people that actually told me that uh you
1: know while they don't agree with me that it is the best and everything like that 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 my you know listening to me rant and rave about it you know gave them a new perspective and a new appreciation for for the film cuz that that's it's the most dogged of the Star Trek films, and I think un- undeservedly so. I think that there's a lot to love in it that, that people just, for whatever reason, they don't see or they don't get or they didn't care to stop and take a look at, you know what I mean?
0: When it comes to entertainment, uh, I'm of the opinion that if you can sell me on something, I'll change my opinion on Right. It. And it's not like, you know, you have to sell me and I, my opinion is oh so important but I don't hold on to opinions with, you know, like it's the freaking rosary. You know, it, it, it's a movie. You know, if I didn't like it, if someone can go, hey, Mike, this is why I like it, and I go, well, let me watch it again, and if I agree with it, then, hey, my mind's been changed. And if I don't agree with it, eh, watch the movie again. I mean, there there are very few films that I ever sat down and watched and went, wow, that was beyond repugnant. I mean, even Showgirls had some <laughs> Better qualities
1: well, that's pretty awesome though that you that you are that way because uh i didn't I didn't know that about you and and I gotta say that that's you know we're always looking for those differences between us that's a huge difference between us right there because <laughs> really the best way to get me to change my mind is to hit me in the head with a blunt object you know because I mean? <laughs> i'm I'm one close
0: minded motherfucker
1: I guess, or so they tell me anyway
0: <laughs> that's part of your charm ah. Uh, And it also is just easier to wind you up about things when you can just push those buttons. Ah, You
1: guys, all of you enjoy doing this so much,
0: too. It's funny to hear you rant. I'm sorry. (laughs) But apparently, people are entertained when I go off on something, so. Uh, I hear both of you cutting back on your comics. I am there with you. I eventually decided to give up new titles altogether with the exceptional, exception of Marvel's Ultimate line, a title for my daughter, and the official index to the Marvel Universe, which may be ending with issue number 13. Let me tell you how disappointed I was in the official index to the Marvel Universe. I was expecting them to start with Fantastic Four number one and to go through an index of every issue in chronological order. All those fuckers did was do the Spider-Man books, the X-Men books and the Iron Man books. You know, the three big film right. properties. <laughs> fuck you, Marvel. Oh, and fuck you, Marvel on another thing. This is old news by now, but yeah, Marvel, you can go eat a dick by saying <laughs> that by telling by telling retailers if they return 50 covers of unsold DC books that they'll get a special variant of siege number 3. Oh, that's that's oh that's fucked up. That's just stupid. I mean, I'm all for the Jets versus Shark mentality between Marvel and DC. I don't subscribe to it cuz I can you know, I'm a DC boy. Uh, that that's my home. And like I said, I'll camp out in Marvel every once in a while, you know, get into the RV and and go spend some time with Spider-Man or Captain America or 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 especially the Hulk, which is my favorite Marvel character. I wanted to touch on where John
1: said uh, he was getting a title for his daughter. John, uh, write in and let us know. I'm curious, you know, how old is your daughter and what's what's the title? I'm curious because I'm you know I'm a fellow parent and uh, and I get titles for my for my boys. Uh, My oldest is. is 13 and my youngest is 9 and I try to find different things that I think will appeal to their age groups and all that so I'd be curious to know uh, what the title is that you're getting for your daughter
0: yeah I uh I'm thinking about that cause you know Rachel and I have been trying to have a kid for a, a while now um and I'm kind of nervous about that aspect of being a parent of uh well, one, I'm kind of nervous about the kids getting their grubby paws on my fucking comics. But uh, but aside from that, because that's just mean, <laughs> um, I'm wondering what they're going to be into. Because my opinion, you know, I told Rachel, my, my wife and I are very different breeds of cats. Uh, you know, she she has her own very specific beliefs. She has what she's into. She has her style of dress you know she she you know but it's 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 it would be considered by mainstream alternative and you know i'm kind of off too i i can i can fit in with the straights but i'm not one of them so we figure the way our kids are going to rebel is they're going to become like football players or you know, <laughs> dress in pink and all that it's like i'm going to kick down the door and you will not listen to that christian rock in my house young man <laughs> but uh <laughs> But I wonder. I wonder what they're going to be into, and I wonder if they're going to be... They're either going to kind of be into it, or they're going to just be embarrassed by it, I think. Right. <laughs> it's going to be one of the two. <laughs> but I look forward to finding out. Uh, John continues, but to be honest, there is so much old stuff that I can get for free that is fun to read. I'm reading Superman and Lanterns, currently in the mid-50s. Uh, that's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, are, are you Are you doing Torrents? Because that that's a really good way to read old books.
1: Yes, it is.
0: Because there is a lot of material out there. A friend of mine slid me a, D, a DVD a couple of months ago that I still have to read. That has every single Jack Kirby Fourth World book on it. There is some awesome stuff, and and uh, you know I'm I'm glad you said that
1: about the torrents because I I want you know if that is how John is getting this stuff, I want him to realize that. We're not being judgmental by any stretch, no. because I am am one of the worst offenders when it comes to free comics, or pretty much free anything on the internet, but if it's free comics, you bet your ass I'm downloading
0: it, and downloading it in, in bundles, so... You know. L- look, we're, we're not screwing over artists and writers any more than the companies are with the trade paperbacks so as as far as I'm concerned somebody is just lending me their back issues
1: well, you know, I don't. I don't look. The way I look at it is, you know, I'm I'm creeping up on 42 years old. I've been a serious comic book collector since the age of nine. They can spot me a few fucking free issues. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, you know, shortly uh, we're gonna have this little Star Trek pad style reader where you can carry it around. You know, like uh. Your cell phone or something, and read comics on it and shit. I'm, I'm, I'm itching for that day, and it's right around the fucking corner, man. It, it's awesome, and all this stuff is out there. I mean, I've seen torrents, you know, every Star Wars comic ever released, or every Superman, or every issue of X Men. It's like, holy shit, this stuff is right at your fingertips. Why not avail yourself of it? I think it's awesome. I
0: love the times we're living in. And Scott and I are agreed when they do that, and they switch uh, mainstream comics over to digital only. Bye. Yep. <laughs> I'll buy your reprints. That's it. <laughs> uh, John continues, I'm reading Spider-Man and X-Men, finishing them 1979 there. Ooh, good X-Men there. Mm-hmm. And I plan to go back and read some other Marvel titles, titles from the beginning, too. So why spend four fucking dollars... <laughs> love the fact that he capitalizes Yes. A book for new stuff when there's so much other stuff that costs me no more than the price of my monthly internet connection. Mm-hmm. Not to mention waiting month to month for a story that I might not even like. If I'm going to be meh on a story, let me read all the issues at once and then say meh. Don't dangle me for six or eight months to find out that your story sucked.
1: <laughs> he just described every event book in the like, like last five <laughs> years at least.
0: Amen, brother. Uh, I'm sad to hear that you're leaving the Golden Age segment behind after completing All-Star Comics number three. I've been enjoying those stories. I would cast a vote to continue doing so, but if the love isn't there, it isn't there. And we explained that last episode, so... uh I don't think I need to go over it again. And I wouldn't want that portion of the show to become a labor or drudgery, which was my point exactly. I just have a soft spot for the Golden Age stories, and I feel that one eight-page story a week was just the right dosage. I had visions in my head of you reaching the Jeff Johns JSA area and still be on the fifth story of issue number (laughs) 15 or something. (laughs) (laughs) I definitely agree with you, Scott. Well, there's something you don't hear all that often. Hey, screw you! And the winged horse you flew in on. <laughs> winged victory and I are good friends. <laughs> um but remember, it's okay to love your horse. It's not okay to love your horse. <laughs> that's a little shout out to Tom DJ and Derek. Unless you're in Alabama. I think it's okay over there. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that's okay in Alabama, but I'm not gonna I'm not going to uh to insult Alabama other than to say two things. One do you Do you know how uh i know that the toothbrush was invented in alabama because otherwise it would be called the teeth brush exactly and did you hear about the 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 horrible horrible tragedy of the uh of the fire at the alabama state capitol building (laughs) yeah burned down right to its axles um (laughs) now what do alabama women say after sex Do you want that scattered, smothered, and covered? Get up,
1: Daddy. You're squashing my cigarettes.
0: Okay. Now, keep in mind that the two Alabama jokes I just told were told to me by my father, who was born in Alabama, and feels some justification for (laughs) telling them because of that. (laughs) Anyways, uh, I definitely agree with you, Scott, on the whole magic thing, though I probably wouldn't apply it to Harry Potter. Why not? Yeah, I was about to say the same thing. (laughs) I've never been a fan of Doctor Strange, and I think your points help explain why the character hasn't been able to maintain a steady monthly series for much of his history. His abilities and power levels are simply, simply inconsistent from plot to plot. That is a point I'm going to bring up in this story we're talking about today. Mm-hmm. Uh, it really is. But I think your word for the word you're looking for uh, is deus ex machina, not MacGuffin.
1: See, I'd use that more if I knew how to pronounce it. But I don't, so I say MacGuffin. Okay. No, I think, you can't... no, I'm kidding. But no, I, I think he's right. I think that is actually the correct term for that. But yeah, I just... Yeah, I, you know, even if it wasn't for the pulling stuff out of their ass type of thing, I'm just not partial to
0: magic stories. There's just something... It's magic! Yeah. <laughs> I don't have a lot to say about the story itself. You hit most of my thoughts, but I had a couple things about the post-story discussion. How old is Billy Batson supposed to be? Never read anything about Captain Marvel before reading Legends. Shortly before From Crisis to Crisis started up, why? Because Jesus saw me reading Post Crisis Superman and worked his Ewok magic to give Michael and Jeffrey the idea to start doing the podcast. You know, I don't attend church very often
1: anymore, but I promise you that the very next time I'm in church, I am going to ask the the preacher or pastor or whoever. If Jesus employs Ewok magic just to gauge the look on his face, okay? I promise you that's going to happen. Just
0: just to see if he's either looking at you like, what the hell are you talking about? Or I need to stone this young man.
1: Or he'll step step far away before the lightning strikes me. Oh, God, I'm going to be laughing about that today. <laughs> For days, that's so funny. I just have a picture in my mind of Jesus with Chief Chirpa's skull bird thing on his head and that staff. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Once again, Michael and Scott completely lose it on the show during the e <laughs> section. <laughs> I have a very family guy piece of animation in my head Um, and in issue one Billy is the host of a talk show so I thought he was an adult but then after Captain Marvel nearly kills the big bad guy and turns back into Billy he's just this little kid he can't even be taken for a young looking 18 to 25 year old because the little teenage girl treats him like he's 8 so how old is this guy and if if he's a child then why is he hosting a TV show I can answer this one run with it man run with it John Byrne drew a very young-looking Billy Batson in Legends. He did look like he was 8 or Mm 9. But when Roy Thomas and Tom Mandrake did Shazam! A New Beginning, a four-issue miniseries I absolutely love, um, he was supposed to be like 15. And basically he was hosting a TV show because he was kind of in at the right place at the right time during the miniseries. And it, it was uh, basically it's a gimmick. It's a kid hosting a TV show, and it's local to San Francisco, so it's not like a national show. But I guess it is a national show because Gar and, and Wally West were watching it in Titans Tower. But um, but he's supposed to be like 15 in that. Now in the in the the 70s era, would you say he's supposed to be like 10, 11, 12 years old?
1: I, I always got stories. the feeling he was a bit older; that he was at least a teenager. You know, he was at least okay. thirteen, between like thirteen and sixteen, something like that. But not not any older than that. But yeah, not because that was that was my one slight criticism of Burns' interpretation of the character in Legends. Is I thought Billy. I don't know if he was supposed to be really, really young, but he looked like you say, like eight or nine, and I thought that was just a little too young.
0: It is. It, 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 it really, really is. Unfortunately, uh, I'm, I'm not saying it is a bad thing because I think th- I thought that Byrne drew a great cat. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, just flat out. A, Badass version of the character. I really would have liked to have seen his ser- him do the series, yeah. That he was supposed to do, yeah. Because it was a great concept for that opening, yeah. It really, where parts. Black Adam gets the powers first, and then the wizard gives it to Billy as kind of to to stop him. I mean that that's that's a really neat way to to bring it in, but unfortunately, Burns' inability to. Play ball with DC. Apparently, put the kibosh on that. But yeah, I, w- I would say he's he, he's a teenager. You know, supposed to be fifteen, sixteen years old, which is something that'll actually come up in the pages of JSA, which we won't be getting to for quite some time. Right. But that was an interesting subplot for a while. John continues. Also, the Justice for Children ad. Yeah, that dadly dad totally beat the his boy bloody that night. Because the last thing a proud abusive man wants is to have his feelings ex- his failings exposed to the greatest superhero in the city, even to the, even to or- <laughs> sorry, or even to the mailman. <laughs> I see what you say about telling child welfare about hitting your kid. I'm one of those that believes in spanking within certain guidelines, but I feel like I have to hide it because it's not in vogue anymore. (laughs) It's funny that you guys don't like Kurt Swan's Batman. He had the first run on World's Finest Comics after the Superman-Batman team-up started with issue number 71. That's where I am in my Superman reading right now, just right issue 74. But I think your explanation of why you don't like that is simply supported by this fact. Anyways, I don't have a whole lot of Batman under my belt, so I'm not sure when he started going dark after this point. I didn't realize it was already happening by 76. I would say it started in around 69. Yep. Uh, 69, 1970. Yep. Because uh, this is basically Batman in the 60s. 60 to 64, he was still kind of stuck in that meetin' aliens. Right face julius schwartz took over the batman titles in 1964 and if there is a man on who walked planet earth that had more to do with the shaping of dc comics as a whole uh, none can be compared to julius schwartz he worked as an editor on every major character at one point or another mm-hmm. You know he was—he's the one that issued in the, the the new Flash, the new Green Lantern, the new Adam, the new Hawkman. In '64, he got Batman, and the first thing he did was put that yellow oval on Batman's chest uh, to put the bat in, and he killed off Alfred, and that started kind of a return to the detective story aspect of of the of the Batman in the comics, right? Uh, in fact, he he talks about how much he didn't know about Batman because in the first story he had him, Batman was walking around in the day and pulled a gun on a guy. <laughs> but when the TV show hit, the Batman comics exploded in popularity. Right. Everyone was buying it. Sales on those books were huge. And after the series ended, because it really only was two years It had three seasons, but that's only because it was a mid-season replacement. But when that show ended, sales of Batman fell to the point where they were considering canceling Detective Comics altogether, which would have been a damn shame. Right. So that's when Schwartz finally started paying attention to what I think it was Jack Schiff who was doing Brave and the Bold, was doing over there with this kid named Neil Adams who was drawing this badass version of Batman. And Schwartz was apparently annoyed that people kept writing in wondering where that Batman is. So finally, after DC Comics kind of forced all of the old guard writers out because they wanted health insurance, uh, they started bringing in people like Mike Friedrich and Denny O'Neill and those were the guys that took Batman back to his roots. Right. Those were the guys that put the back into the Batman. So, I'm man, when you get to Batman, the 60s stuff is great. Don't get me wrong. The new look stuff has a lot of charm to it. That's where Poison Ivy came from. He started bringing back all the old school villains. But when you hit that Denny O'Neill, Irv, Novik, Mike Friedrich, uh, who else? Frank Robbins mm-hmm. uh, era. And especially when you get to Steve Englehart and Marshall Robbins. Yes. Oh, oh God. Great that was something I was Great going to Batman run past stuff. you as
1: an idea to uh, to be p- one of our possible follow ups after we get past the burn Hulk stuff. On Back I to am Ben's. up for
0: that. I only have it in trade, but I am up for it.
1: I would love to cover that stuff so, again.
0: All in all, John finishes a good episode. I just finished it in time for episode nine to come out, so there may be another email right after this one. Keep them flying, John Wilson. Thanks, John. thanks, John. You do appreciate it. Awesome. Alright, I think we got one more.
1: Yeah, here we go. Yes, sir. <clears throat> this one is from our old buddy uh, Dion Cottrell. He writes A belated note regarding episode seven. The holidays, family visits, etc., have a habit. Uh, of gobbling up time don't they please take my silence as a sign that i'm losing interest i'm downloading and listening shortly after each episode goes live and i have no plans to stop of uh, stopping anytime soon and i And if, yeah absolutely and of course i always appreciate hearing my comments on the air excellent work yet again until next time dion and he has a couple of notes here Note one, he says, Keith Giffen and Wally Wood's work in issue 63 was their strongest yet as a team. Giffen seems to be really coming into his own, and I'm sure it helps that Wood and he had time to get more comfortable with each other. The full splash of Xanadu wasn't as dynamic as it should have been, and it isn't up to the standards Giffen and Wood set in earlier issues, but otherwise the design and layouts were great and the line work exceptional it's too bad Giffen wasn't able to stay in the title longer I had yeah absolutely that was my uh, yeah. I think that was my comment on that first post Giffen issue that it was a shame that he had to leave
0: but uh, you know if he's going to be replaced by Joe Staton eh. oh, yeah. I mean, that's yeah. not a bad trade off oh yeah uh, point two he's got here. Hawkman, Superman, and Dr.
1: Midnight all seem to have poor character moments in this issue. Yeah, I think we, uh,
0: I think we touched yeah. on that.
1: <laughs> Mopey, whiny, only scratches the surface. I'm not sure whether Levitz is trying to add depth and uh, pathos, but either way, he lays it on a bit too thick in this issue. Yes, death... Depth of character, especially the hero's underlying humanity, is important. Yes, seriousness adds a nice contrast to the four-color action here. Though it feels inept, if not outright dated. Yeah, I I will have to agree with that absolutely. You know, yes, sir, indeed, I, I can I can buy it with just about any character. The one that really stuck in my craw was Superman. You know, because he said something. I can't remember what exactly what it was, but it was basically something Superman would never say about. Oh, I just feel like you know all this shit that I do doesn't make any difference. I can't see Superman of all people saying that.
0: It's even the Golden Age Superman who's a little more grounded than the uh, than that his Earth One counterpart. I mean, here's a guy that basically does what he does because it needs to be de- done, right? That's, that's his shtick. That's why he did what he did. Right. I mean, so, yeah, I agree completely on that. No, and it's not that I'm saying that because I think Superman is, like,
1: full of himself or, or egotistical or, or he has, like, this huge opinion. As a matter of fact, I, I prefer a Superman who's very humble, you know, that, that doesn't see himself as anything other than a, a guy... Doing
0: what he should do, you know. Well, it's, it, it's like that moment in Superman versus the Amazing Spider-Man where Spider-Man goes, "Don't you ever get amazed by the stuff you can do?" And he goes, "Well, no, never really thought about it." Right? Yeah, exactly. That so, that's exactly how I prefer him. So I'm
1: I'm not saying that that him being down at that moment, you know, is it, you know that it it goes counter to that. It's just that. I, I prefer him to be an optimist you know prefer him to not ever feel like you know like, like he's worn down by all the by the never ending battle you know what I mean that, that he's yeah. always willing to go out there and and continue to do his best to make a difference and and that he just never gets worn down by that
0: and if he has those moments, they're private right, yeah they when he's alone or when he's with a loved one or someone he trusts that he feels he can talk to. When he's at work, which is ostensibly what he's here, I think really and truly if Superman's going to have a character flaw in front of other heroes, I think it should be overly humble. Right. Like when he realizes that people are staring at him because he's doing what he can do. I think, given his upbringing, he'd be a little embarrassed by the attention. Right. So,
1: that I could buy. Yeah, I definitely prefer him that way. I I guess, to sum it all up, I think the way that this could have been fixed, the the, the way I'd prefer that this moment had gone, was rather than Superman, rather than us seeing Superman in a moment where he's going, gee, nothing I, I do seems to make any difference, I think, ultimately, Superman as I know him and prefer him to be characterized, would be, am I doing enough? Yeah. That, that's really the way I see Superman is that... That's a great way yeah, to put he, it. He just never... You, you can't get the guy down. You know what I mean? So if if he, if he looked at the world and, and felt like it hadn't changed very much in all the years he'd been out there doing his thing he'd blame himself you know he he yeah. would he would think you know he'd have those moments where he'd think have i done everything i can to make the difference he he wouldn't be god damn it you know nothing i've done has has made a difference you know he just wouldn't be like that so yeah that that moment really really struck me in that book um his final point he says I cracked a smile when I saw the Daily Planet burp for Freedom Fighters number 5. What an excellent, if too short, series. Amen. Both IT and Secret Society of Supervillains deserve more attention, and sadly, they both ended before their time. Those titles, much like Michael's favorite, Steel, The Indestructible Man, and Scott's fave, Cobra, are prime examples of DC's mid-to-late 1970s attempt to shift their quote-unquote minor characters uh, into more exciting storylines. It's probably no surprise a number of them were written by Jerry Conway, Bob Rusicus, Paul Levitz, and other up-and-coming pros of the time.
0: Jerry Conway, like,
1: wrote every DC title for a while yeah. there.
0: <laughs> he was the Jeff Johns of his day.
1: Uh, but he's right. I mean, those were some excellent titles and and largely they just fell victim to the, uh, the DC, DC implosion. Yep. Exactly, and it's it's really sad. I I think it's with some of the series, I think it was a combination of factors to where some of them didn't seem like they they didn't start out very strong, and it wasn't until they no. were just starting to rock and roll when they were canceled. I, at least I know that's the case uh, in my opinion, anyway. With Cobra, is that that book started really weak and. Was awesome in the last two issues, but it just wasn't enough by that point to to save a book that you know
0: started. That's so an interesting. Poorly. That's an interesting period in DC's history. though. oh yeah, is, is to watch it go from DC. There's no stopping us now. Though that was an '80s saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, like you know, DC. We're gonna take the racks back from Marvel to DC hey, look, we got eight page extras. Right. Well, I mean, if you go on uh, on
1: that site that, that you turned me on to, Mike's Amazing World of DC Comics, and you start flipping through the months right around now, and you see all the titles they're putting out. And they're putting out dozens of titles every month. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, I, I'm not sure what month it is, but all of a sudden you hit one month and there's like maybe ten titles tops. And it's just like Boom! Everything ended all at once. I mean, all of these awesome titles that were going, just, all of them cut right off. And they went from, you know, this massive library of awesome titles to just really a, a handful of their core books. You know, the Supermans, the Batmans, and that sort of thing. It's it's pretty sad
0: because a lot of nice books, <laughs> you know, fell by the wayside. Yeah. I, so much good stuff. Steel and Firestorm. Steel the Indestructible Man and that first those first five issues of Firestorm are just freaking awesome. <laughs> I mean they really, really are. God, I love those. Both written by Jerry Conway. Uh Don Heck's best artwork in Steel too. God, it was awesome. I think that's and I know you're not a heck. I'm not at all. Yeah. I was just gonna say I think that's the reason
1: I've I've never read Steel. And uh I'm trying to track
0: it down because I know that we're gonna cover that eventually. And uh well only in so much that the unused pages for like the sixth issue are used in an issue of uh, all star squadron
1: ah oh, okay,
0: so it's kind of pertinent to that that's why Don heck does that issue is because that was gonna be okay. that was that was artwork taken from that unpublished last issue oh cool well so, you know what I just thought of something is uh I'm having trouble
1: tracking those issues down, both on eBay and um, from what I've been able to to research. I cannot seem to find where they have actually uh, been put out as CBRs. So I'm going to put our listeners on the trail of that. If any of you guys know where I can find some CBRs.
0: Of uh, well, how many issues is that series? Six issues, five, five issues, uh, five or six, somewhere, somewhere around there. I forget. I uh, if if my inventory was still extant, yeah, I would, uh, it, I would I love to do all somebody. Those could get, it. I could tell you, but yeah,
1: if somebody could put me on the trail of uh, of those because I'd really like to read that series, and eventually we're going to cover it here on the show, and uh, and I'd like to be able to share the chores with with Michael on reviewing those issues. So, but sadly, don't have them in my own collection.
0: I managed to score them really cheap during the 90s when 70s books really weren't worth all that much whereas now it's getting to the point where good god yeah uh, it's depressing well, yeah they... but thankfully a lot of these are in like 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 the later issues of Commandy you can find in issue f- in 50 cent boxes so you know it it's still out there it's just going to take some doing basically <laughs> Well, I think that wraps it up. We are going to m- move over now to the main feature. We are taking a break from All-Star Comics this this week to cover a book we basically decided we were going to co- cover, Come Hell or High Water, when we first came up with this show. Yep. Low those many months ago. Um, it's DC Special, number 29. This was an interesting book. DC in the in the 70s. Put out a number of titles like this where it would be DC Secret Origins, DC Special. They were random. They didn't have a continuing storyline. They would just be showcase books, basically. Right. And this was issue number 29. This is the last issue of DC Special. It's got a cover date of September 1977. It cost a whopping 60 cents because this double sized comic book contains the untold origin of the Justice Society, the most sensational secret of World War II. Because until this issue, there was no origin for the Justice Society. As it is pointed out in the text piece, even the Justice League got an origin, 144 issues into their book. But Basically, when All Star Comics number three started up, like we said, the JSA was always already around, and this story with a cover—a really nice cover by Neil Adams. Yeah, it looks like Hitler has gas, but other than that, it's it's pretty cool. It's kind of funny that the 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 Earth two Superman on this cover looks exactly like the Earth one Superman, except the S is a little.
1: <laughs> well, you know, this cover really really takes me back to. There's a. a a picture and I'm not sure if it comes from an album cover or what it comes from, but it's Superman, and all around him are all of the DC characters that can fly and they're all flying against a sky that's colored just about the same color as this this you know yeah, cover here talking about and doesn't it look about the same because you know right below Superman in that picture is like uh, the Specter and Dr. Fate and they're're they're the, you know they're on this cover too. It's very reminiscent to me of that piece of artwork.
0: Do do you know where that piece of artwork comes from? Isn't that like the back cover of one of the Superman records or something like that? I don't know. It could also be like a picture from one of the calendars. Ah,
1: that's true, yeah.
0: That's possible. It's kind of hard to nail down some of that art because it was used and reused so many times because it was it was really good art. I love this picture, though. Although I have to oh.
1: question how smart it is for Superman to be punching a bomb, but... <laughs> Looks cool, though. It does That's look cool, but he could have killed every one of his teammates is all I'm saying.
0: Okay, we get to the splash page, which contains a picture of all of the members of the JSA through the years, and I am going to freaking name them without having to look in the back. Do it! Do it! Top... Top level, Mr. Terrific, Dr. Midnight, Johnny Thunder and his Thunderbolt, Batman, behind Wonder Woman is the original Red Tornado and the android Red Tornado in his original uh, costume. You have Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, the Spectre, Sandman, the Atom, Black Canary, Dr. Fate, the Flash, Hawkman, Power Girl... Our Man Star Spangled Kid Wildcat Green Lantern and Robin and now and Starman and Starman I I thought I already said oh maybe you did Terry Sloan Charles McKnighter Johnny Thunder Ma Hunkel, John Smith Wesley Dodds Al Pratt Clark Kent Bruce Wayne Diana Prince Jim Corrigan Kent Nelson Jay Garrick Carter Hall, eventually Karen Starr, Rex TikTok Tyler, Dinah Lance, Ted Grant, Sylvester Pemberton, Alan Scott, Dick Grayson, and Ted Knight. Woohoo! Now you're just showing off. <laughs> yes, actually. <laughs> Look, John Wilson recently sent me an email pointing out all of the cameos I missed. As far as uh, the Superman podcast I do, <laughs> I, need, I need to get my center back, because it made me feel like <laughs> made me feel like I wasn't paying attention. But this story was written by Paul Levitz, with art by Joe Staten and Bob Layton, and dedicated the, this tale to Gardner Fox and Shelley Mayer, who started it all in All-Star Comics number 3, Winter, 1940. In the winter of 1940, Adolf Hitler abandoned plans to invade England. To this day, no one knows why. No one but the ten heroes who battled across two continents to ruin those plans and give birth to a legend. Prologue. We start in Washington D.C. 1940. Shortly, World War II has not officially begun because America has not entered the war. I'm sure Poland and England would have issue with that. <laughs> we see a man walk into the White House. He tells the guard a bulletin from Intrepid for the for the president, and he is allowed in. Uh, president Franklin Franklin Delano Roosevelt greets the man, calling him Smythe. And he says that he trusts Intrepid as well, because they can't have the Chief of British Security Coordination out of commission. Smythe tells him that Mr. Stevenson is fine, it's the rest of the world they're worried about. And he basically reveals plans that Hitler plans to invade England within the week. And asks the United States for help. FDR's hands are tied, however, because he promised in his re-election campaign that he would not get into World War II. But he has an idea that there are a few more powerful, more daring than ordinary mortals that have been in operation for the last two years. Perhaps they are their answer, and he gives them pictures of Batman, Green Lantern, Flash, Dr. Fate, Hawkman, and Hourman. And this is called The Beginning. Chapter 1, Gotham City in the USA. And one of the things that I love about this issue is that when he gives the location, Joe Staten draws it as what the location stands for. So Gotham City looks like buildings in a city. It's really awesome. Yeah, yeah that complete is cool. lights. Batman answers the bat signal. Commissioner Gordon brings him into another room where Flash and Green Lantern are. And this is where it is officially put into record that Green Lantern operated out of Gotham City for his entire career, basically, instead of Capital City. So basically, they all get introduced, and Smythe steps forwards and gives them their mission to go to England. The, room, the room's dark shadows grow longer as secret Nazi dispatches are revealed and the three young Americans are shown that their actions may decide the fate of the world. Later, a Bristol Type 2 152 Bufort takes off from Frank Lloyd Wright Field with three passengers aboard for a rendezvous with destiny. Chapter 2 in Glasgow. Glasgow is drawn with plaid coloring to show that it's wearing a kilt <laughs> Batman Flash and Green Lantern invade a castle where Nazis are holed up uh, the leader of the uh, of the Nazi striker orders that his men to kill the three heroes but they're doing a pretty good job of whipping some Nazi ass and let me make it perfectly clear right now I think it's always good to see Nazis getting their asses kicked <laughs> Maybe it's because I grew up watching Indiana Jones. Maybe it's because the Nazis were, you know, kind of evil. Not all of them, but most. But, uh, yeah, I never get tired of this. I never get tired of seeing superheroes whooping up on Nazis. Striker. So <laughs> Stryker, uh... Yeah, that is his name, Stryker. Yeah, that's it. me. Stryker realizes that the Americans know about the invasion plans, and they can't. But they cannot know it all, and they must not. They must die. So he unleashes the murder machine, this giant green-looking robot that is so awesome. God, I love the forties. <laughs> the flat it it. It just kershams. Oh no, I'm sorry, kershlams, Batman. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm looking at this page A robot just punched Batman in the face And the Flash runs at it And is knocked out Knocked out so hard That he also knocks into Green Lantern And they are all rendered unconscious Which makes Stryker quite happy, by the way We have an interlude in Salem, Massachusetts Which is just kind of green and weird looking Yeah (laughs) And Dr. Fate sees these events and decides, hey I got to get my ass in gear and he grabs our man. Rex Tyler, you who are called our man. I have need of your power. And they uh, and again there's more talk of destiny of the world blah 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 blah. So in Berlin, Germany and Berlin Germany and the swastikas are dripping blood. Hitler is making a presentation before his armed forces. He is also holding the Spear of Destiny that a Ro- Roman soldier used on Christ himself. And there's a little editor's note to see Weird Ward Tales, number 50. So I have to track that down. Do you have that?
1: No, issue? I don't. I, and as a matter of fact, I was just it to eBay just
0: to take a look and see what I <laughs> catch. Uh, Hitler goes over to Batman and takes off his mask, holds it before his men, and goes, Hey... This is who the, this uh, evil American really is, and he turns around, and Batman's still wearing his mask, because our man and Dr. Fate have arrived, and Dr. Fate used some magic whozie what's-its to, to give Batman another mask, so that the face of Bruce Wayne wasn't revealed to the world, or at least to these Nazis. And who's going to believe a Nazi? <laughs> though really when you think about it if they had uncovered him as Bruce Wayne they could have totally discredited Bruce Wayne in the United States by showing him in pictures with other Nazis oh that's a good point that would have been a cool story Ooh. so anyways Dr. Fate and Hourman start whooping ass they free Batman, Flash and Green Lantern but Hitler isn't having any of this shit and uses his uh, the Spear of Destiny to summon the Valkyries of Norse legend <sighs>
1: <laughs> I'm sorry. I like this story a lot. I really, really do. But this is the moment that that goes beyond Scott's credibility level right here. What the fuck do the Valkyries of North's legend have to do with a Christian religious symbol?
0: You know? <laughs> that would be like I See your point. I mean I I see why Hitler's into them because he was very much into uh, Ring of the Nebula and um, you know the whole Wagner opera you know, right. the whole series so, and, and, and he was into the occult but I, I, I think that's that goes to the heart that certain certain things that are tied to Christianity are still thrown in with the occult right, as well so, but yeah, why Why the hell is the Spear of Destiny summoning the Valkyries? I mean, it doesn't make a bit of fucking no, sense. No, it doesn't. It's like Thor showing up to rescue Jesus at the crucifixion or something. It's like, huh? It doesn't make any you know, sense. It, it's kind of funny you say that, because he did rescue the angel after he was nailed to the wall. <laughs> oh, God. During Fall of the Mutants. so. Uh. <laughs> There's, there's some symbolism there that I just caught that I've never caught before. <laughs> but anyways, <laughs> the fight with the Valkyries really doesn't go well because they are extremely powerful. Even Dr. Fate is having trouble with them, and that's when Hitler is basically like, uh, fuck it, let's invade. <laughs> so he sends his warships towards uh, England as the uh, heroes are still getting their butts kicked by the Valkyries. Or if I was a little bit more of an asshole, they're all getting beat up by a bunch of girls. So <laughs> Dr. Fate decides, I need some help, and we head to America, which is in which is striped red, white, and, well, there's one yellow. But red, white, and blue, and we see Sandman just finishing up a case involving kidnappers, and he's taken away by glowing tentacles. Yeah, I'm sure you are. He is soon joined by Hawkman and the Atom. They are all introduced, and they are headed towards England, where the invasion is about to happen. They are also followed by a shadowy figure, who is also uh, answering a mystic summons. Chapter 5, Dover, England. And Dover is drawn like the White Cliffs of Dover. The Nazis are invading, but... They're quite surprised because the British forces are there and ready to kick some serious Nazi ass. Hawkman, Sandman, Adam show up, and they start... They join the fracas, and boy, are they beating some Nazi ass. When, suddenly, they see the form of the Spectre. Back in Berlin, the... Dr. Fate, after a quick little break inside a Green Lantern bubble finally manages to overcome the Valkyries, who attempt to flee, and Hitler, seeing this as this kind of all-or-nothing chance to finally invade the United States, sends an experimental plane, a modified Dornier DO-217. It soars into the sky, and the warrior women, sensing its importance, follow. So basically you have a warplane being surrounded by a bunch of women on flying horses. Back at the English Channel, Doctor, this the Spectre is well. He's doing what the Spectre does, which is be extremely powerful and killing everybody. <laughs> in fact, there is a there is a lovely image of him standing in the English Channel with his hand, with his fists on his hips. Doctor Fate, Green Lantern, Hourman, uh, Flash, and Batman show up. And for the first time in any world's history, nine superheroes are gathered together in a moment of triumph and of of a pending doom. They figure out that Hitler is headed to Washington, and they try to engage the plane, but the Valkyries fight them all the way across the Atlantic Ocean. Time goes by, the battle continues, and Flash realizes that they are over Washington, which must be the bomber's target. And, well, the battle is going on pretty fiercely until, no, it's incredible, Green Lantern announces. We've got a reprieve. Look, leaping up from the press building. And, son of a bitch, full page splash of Superman coming into the battle and just destroying three or four Nazi warplanes. God, it's awesome. It is awesome. And I mean the awesomeness continues because on the next ca- on the next page he catches a bomb. Well, don't worry, he says, this is one time I won't let it go bursting off my chest. So the battle is is taken all the way to the White House. One of the Valkyries breaks into the Oval Office and tries to kill Franklin Delano Roosevelt, but the Atom is there and he takes the hit. Superman grabs the Valkyrie, but she suddenly disappears, and it is explained that because she failed in her mission, she returned to Valhalla. And suddenly, all 10 heroes are right, are before the President of the United States. FDR is very happy to see that the Atom survived his encounter his uh the blast from the Valkyrie. And he even and the Adam even jokes fine, Mr. President. Don't you know you can't split an atom <laughs> <laughs> so basically f d r suggests that they would make a really great army regiment, and Hawkman says, "Sounds good to me, team. We'll band together, form a special super battalion. No Superman says not a not a battalion. We're not part of any army. We fight only in the cause of justice, and that gives us our name." The Justice Society of America ends in a really, really badass splash page of them all standing together, and it says, Never the End. And it repeats that in the winter of 1940, Adolf Hitler abandoned plans to invade England. To this day, no one knows why. No one but the ten heroes who battled across two continents to ruin those plans and give birth to a legend. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Ah... You know, outside of the Valkyries, this is a really awesome story. It is a
1: really, really awesome story. However, I spotted something in this. I don't know when I read this as a kid. I you know, I was I was fully into the JSA and and DC and all these characters by this time. However, I feel sorry for any kid who may have picked this up for the first (laughs) time, not knowing about parallel Earths and different Superman and Batman and stuff. Because (laughs) I don't know if you noticed this, there are two very important words that are never said in this whole book. Do you know what they are?
0: No. Earth 2. You know, I never really thought about it. So if you pick this up and you were reading,
1: you know, Batman the regular Batman titles or the regular Superman titles?
0: How fucking confused might you be by this book? No, I, I, I can see exactly what you're saying. Um, that's really bizarre. Yeah. I never really thought about it. But you know what? It does explain... When we were coming up with like the opening intro to the, uh, to the show, we wanted it to be kind of dramatic, and I chose one of the opening little things that D.C. would put in their books from time to time, mm-hmm. you know, Earth 2, a world much like our own, right. yet slightly different, that's not here. Nope. And that would be kind of important. I guess they're assuming that if you're picking this up, you know who the Justice Society are. I, I mean, I went back and forth through this book several times to make sure that fact before
1: I brought it up, and I could not find anywhere in here where it said that this was an alternate Earth. So I I just feel like that's worth bringing up, you know, at a, at a time when there was no internet and there was no, you know, quick reference to such things. If you were a kid just grabbing this off the stands, you know, I'm I'm sure you would find it awesome, but at the same time, you might be and you know, now that I think about it, something similar to this did happen to me. Um there's a, I I'm not sure if it's a limited collectors edition or one of those all-new collector's editions, but there's one of those giant, oversized DC books. It's Superman versus Wonder Woman.
0: Oh, and yeah, I, that's set in on Earth 2,
1: Yeah, it? and I had a tough time as a kid figuring out what the hell the deal with that story was supposed to be because <laughs> the Superman and Wonder Woman in that book, the way they're drawn and largely portrayed in that book, are very much the Earth-1... You know, I mean they've got their Earth One outfits, but even their personas are very much the Earth one personas yet the story's clearly got to take place on Earth too because it doesn't fit any other way because it's a World War two story with uh what was it Baron Blitzkrieg and that super wrestler or the like the super sumo guy or whatever the hell his name was there you know, they end up detonating an A-bomb at the end of the story. It's, a, it's an awesome, awesome story. But I can remember reading that as a kid and and being a little bit confused as, okay, what, you know, this is supposed to be Earth 2, but this isn't the Earth 2 Superman. They didn't change the ass or anything with him, and, and Wonder Woman was, was pretty much looked just like the Wonder Woman that was coming out in the regular Wonder Woman title of the time, so i would imagine that this book had the potential to to confound a kid pretty
0: much the same way probably but at the same time it is an amazing amazing story it is very um, cool if you're going to give the jsa an origin it had to be epic and this definitely fit that bill everyone came in pretty organically uh, especially Superman. Yes. I love the fact that when Superman comes in, she, it's, hey, look, from that press, uh, from that press building. Right. That basically, yeah, he was, he was there as Clark Kent, but, uh, but then he changed into Superman to, to, to come in and kind of provide that last minute backup at the end. Actually, I, I have a couple minor quibbles with, with this story. The first being, everyone is introduced to each other rather quickly, right? And there really isn't any time given to to kind of explain how how they they got along together so fast. That's not a really big issue, in all honesty, because I've seen worse. Uh, worse ways heroes are, are introduced to each other, but it's just like Superman, all, they're all brought together and they're all brought up to speed, so let's get on with the story. Right. Basically. But um, other than that, and the whole Valkyries thing being kind of weird and kind of freaking me out, not not freaking me out in a bad way, obviously, but just, just being kind of a bizarre thing to bring into the story. Like, they got together basically because of mysticism. Now, this will play out later, especially in All-Star Squadron. Right. But I love the fact that the Atom was the one that took the hit at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, not Green Lantern, not Flash, not Superman, not somebody that could easily survive such a blast, but the Atom. It's just like the little guy got in there and saved the president. That's kind of cool. My, my other, and this is kind of a major quibble, I love Joe Staten's art. I love his Batman. I love every hero in this book. He can't draw FDR to save his fucking life. <laughs> oh, I, I like his. Uh, I. I. He don't.
1: looks. He looks a little funny, but yeah, I do. I like the way he draws him. <sighs> I'm not a really big fan of it.
0: I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but th- but that's that's you know that's just one fan's opinion. But I mean, it's it's just good, clean fun. It's it's a solid story. And it's something, It's an origin you can kind of sink your teeth into. Oh, yeah. You know, it, it's something you can definitely get behind. It's not like the Justice League, who I always felt kind of had a rather piss-poor origin with those planetary beings coming to use Earth as their stomping ground. Right. And, and them forming because of that. Because it works, but this has more gravitas, especially since it's tied into world events of the time. You know, the Golden Age, they say in this that World War II hadn't started because America hadn't entered the war yet. And to a certain extent, there's some truth to that. Mm-hmm. But again, England and Poland and France had been fighting the war, fighting the Nazis since, you know, 1938. Right. You know, so for two years, this was their existence. Right. And I like the fact that this team is tied into that is ti- you know fdr couldn't send direct support but he could call in the superheroes right because they work kind of on the fringe of society anyways and uh just neat seeing commissioner gordon and and again it's neat to see that this is where it's pretty much established that even in the golden age green lantern operated in gotham City. yeah i like that which works a lot better in the post crisis dcu to me, because I, I, he was the only hero of Gotham City. right? But uh, it works here, too. I, I really have no complaints with it.
1: I would have liked to have seen more stories from this era of Batman and Green Lantern teamed up in Gotham City, and I don't know that there oh, were yeah. that many of them, really. But I would have loved no, there, to see seen. I don't a, think there was any. You know, like a, like a Brave and the Bold-style story of of just Batman and G.L., you know, fighting crime together on their home turf. I think that'd be pretty cool.
0: Especially like kind of setting it earlier in their careers, where they might not be trusting of each other.
1: Yeah, yet. I could see them very much having that that post crisis Superman Batman dynamic. You know, to where maybe they rub each other a little bit raw. You know, because they they are very different kinds of heroes. Yeah, I could totally see that.
0: But I do like the fact that the the, the English the, the armed forces of England are just as involved in the battle at Dover as the superheroes. Are. Right. Like they're just there as as muscle, but these are the the kind of the real heroes. And, and I, and I kind of dig that. I also dig how Staten draws the Atom. He he does the thing that I like to see done with the Atom is that you see the face under there. I know you like the kind of Spider Man. And it's kind of weird in certain panels when you see his eyes. Right, Right, yeah. It's just kind of strange, but I really, it's like one of the few times I like this costume. (laughs) Other than when it's drawn by Jerry Ordway or Rick Buckler. Well, my my biggest, the biggest
1: things in this book that that make me happy are are certain panels by by Staten that are just awesome. Because that very first shot of Batman on page four. Oh, oh it's just great. That is such a great, great picture of Batman. And uh, and then, of course, on
0: page uh, twenty. I love that bat being so freaking yeah. big on his
1: chest. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, if there, it, I, I still prefer, because it was the one I grew up with, I still prefer the, the yellow oval around it. But if you're going to go with just the bat with no oval, then it's got to be huge like this. And I, I love yes. it. it. You know, it takes up the, you know... It, Goes all all the way across his chest. I like that. I like that when the symbols are, are nice and big like that. And but, uh,
0: but as much as we were talking about Green Lantern and Batman not getting along, I like the fact that everyone's kind of friends, right? Right. Yeah.
1: right yeah. Well, this you know it was the era too. You know, they're all united for a common cause type of thing. You know, there's there's no petty bickering or anything because you know it's for mom and apple pie and all that. I love that i love uh page 23 the beginning of chapter seven with uh with the specter just <laughs> waiting across the channel it, it's you know imagine you know for listeners imagine the the part in kiwi's big adventure where he's where uh what's the guy's name <laughs> um francis is in the bathtub playing like he's godzilla or something sinking the the battleships that's very much what the, what the specter's doing here he's grown up to immense proportions and he's just walking up to these German boats and just sinking
0: them. It's great. Well this it. is this is more ammunition of the Spectre being just kind of a dick though, because you know, he's this powerful, he takes out everybody, but he doesn't do that for the rest of the issue. Right. He's just one of the guys. Right. Um backing it up to page sixteen for a second, I love the fact that one Staten draws the Golden Age Sandman's original costume so great. Mm-hmm. But he leaves this poem. It says, There is no land beyond the law, where tyrants rule with unbreakable, unshakable power. Excuse mm-hmm. me. It's but a dream from which the evil wake to face their fate, their terrifying hour, the Sandman. Oh, that's neat. I like that, but that page
1: leads directly into my second biggest nitpick with this issue beyond... Um, the Valkyries. Yeah, is that all right? After uh, Flash, Batman, and GL are taken out, or actually, they're they're not taken out. They're they're locked in battle with the Valkyries. Doctor Fate uses his power to summon even more heroes. One of them being uh, Sandman. There, like you said, at the bottom of page sixteen. So fate actually casts a spell that sends out these tentacles and nab sandman the atom hawkman and who else i guess that's it and literally drags them across the atlantic ocean (laughs) how fucking long would that take and I mean how weirded out would you be? I mean if all if you're just minding your own business fighting villains or whatever, you know, you're out <laughs> in the middle of that, and all of a sudden this freaking glowing or yellow orange tentacle comes out of the sky, wraps itself around you and you get hauled out to the middle of the ocean. How freaked out would you be by that? They get all the way over to Dover, England. You know, that's where where fate brings them to. They they barely have time to get their bearings and meet everybody and figure out what's going on. And then they get involved with a a battle with the Valkyrie that takes them all the way back across the Atlantic again. (laughs) How fucking long would that take? And I'm going, Jesus, you know, I mean these guys would be suffering some serious jet lag I would by the end of their adventure. (laughs) And then my last little nitpick... it's not a major one, but it just... It, it cracks me up more than anything. All right. They've just fought their way all the way across the Atlantic. You know, the, the JSAs are, are fighting the Valkyrie pretty much to a standstill. She's got a hug. They're creeping... Yeah, they're creeping up. Who's kind of hot? The Valkyrie? Yeah. Uh, if you say so, dude. <laughs> and they're just coming into view of... Uh, of Washington DC and we get this panel that shows all the the JSAers fighting and you've got you know like fate and Green Lantern are using you know they, he, their their powers are you know green GLs using his ring and fate's casting a spell or whatever the hell he's doing and you've got Adams you know trying to hold back uh, one of the spears of the Valkyrie and you know and all these different things going on and then Sandman Is standing there, and he's throwing out some sand. Now, wouldn't he have tried this somewhere in the hours that it took to cross the Atlantic? So either he's just now thought of doing, oh, gee, maybe I should try my sand, or he's already done it, and he knows it's ineffective, so why continue to throw sand? Is this, like, the only gimmick the
0: guy's got, is to be able to throw the sand? Apparently. It just cracked me up when I saw that. But I have to I have to say though, my favorite moment in this entire issue and I'm so glad it came from Superman was you know, Hawkman goes, Like I said, sounds good to me team, we'll band together, form a special super battalion and it's Superman that goes, No, not a battalion. We're not part of any army, we fight only in the cause of justice. That is the golden age Superman. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not getting involved in this. You know, we're, we're not we're not allied with the government. We're all together because we want one thing, justice. That's awesome. And then he splits. <laughs> well, he becomes an honorary member because he had his own title. Right. So. <laughs> I just love it. He's the one that dictates policy, but then
1: he's not around. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're going to listen to me because I'm Superman, damn it. We're going to be this. All right, now I'm gone. See ya. you guys
0: suck. Peace. I love it. All right, what else we got here? Ads? Uh, we got, unfortunately, there aren't many good ads in this no, club. No, there's not. There's even a uh, Twinkies there. and a Cupcakes ad, but it sucks. It's a fucking baseball card uh, ad. Oh. Uh, so you get to see Jim Palmer, Baltimore Orioles pitcher. So who gives a shit? Yeah, and Reggie Jackson, because everyone likes Reggie Jackson. <laughs> I don't know. He was was kind of like a big, huge figure. He was. I have
1: an amusing story when it comes to Reggie Jackson is that uh, my uncles, one of of my uncles, I'm not sure which one of them it was now that I think about it, but they had a huge collection of Beatles albums, original Beatles albums. And on the back of one of them, the back cover of one of the albums, I couldn't tell you which one it was. It was one of the later albums. There was pictures of all of the Beatles, and underneath it was, like, a little heart-shaped thing where you, if you were a girl, could cut out your picture and, like, paste it on there. So it was like, John John <laughs> loves whoever and Paul loves whoever and Ringo loves whoever. Well, somebody, I presume one of my uncles, had taken a sticker from one of these, like, tops or whatever baseball card sets, and it was Reggie Jackson, and they put it underneath Paul McCartney, so it said, "Paul McCartney loves Reggie Jackson." And I don't know why that always tickled me so much, but all my life, whenever I think about that, it cracks me up. It always—it uh, just always struck me as
0: funny. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's funny as shit. All righty, we've got some kind of lousy ads, you know, super prizes. Slim Jim. I ate a Slim Jim the other week. That was a mistake. Oh, yeah. Anyways, <laughs> shooting a daisy, even though that it is Johnny Unitas. Now, this is the one I was going to let you have.
1: Ooh, the Star Trek one. Yes. This is for the uh, giant poster book. I never had any of these, but I, I would imagine they were probably pretty awesome, because I had some uh, some of the Star Wars giant poster books, and they were pretty freaking cool, because they, they pack a lot of meat into those things. And then literally the thing would unfold into like this giant poster that you could put on your wall. I wonder what the poster is in this. One. I don't think it tells. It's probably the Enterprise or Spock or something. But the ad is pretty neat. It just says "Beam on board the Enterprise with us," and it's an ad for uh, you could you could order twelve or twenty four issues of uh, of this magazine.
0: Now, now here's a question. <clears throat> So we've got Star Trek giant poster book, you got Spock: The Evolution, USS Enterprise: a City in Space, and The Cage, Star Trek film we never saw. Mm-hmm. That must have been a big deal. It was a very big deal
1: because uh I remember when The Cage finally did premiere on TV. I can't I couldn't tell you what year that was. I want to say it was 80, It
0: was 87. It was right when. Yeah. Uh, Next gen was about to come. Up.
1: Yeah, they treated that like a like a film event on TV. It was a big freaking deal because it had never yeah. been shown in its entirety on TV, and for the longest time, it was believed that the full color print of the cage had been lost. So, you know, when they premiered that on TV, large sections of that were in black and white. And, you know, if you go fishing at, say, garage sales or flea markets or what, you can still find videotapes, you know, official Paramount videotapes of the original release of The Cage on videotape, where it goes back and forth, color and black and white. Now, the color sequences are taken from The Menagerie, which was the episode that salvaged footage from the from the cage and made a different episode out of it, made a two-parter episode of, of Star Trek, the series out of it. But the black and white sequences were the, was the stuff that had never been seen on TV before up to that point. And years later they would eventually find a complete color print. So, you know, one did actually exist after all, but yeah, that was kind of the story on that. But yeah, that was a big deal because it was, you know, it was, quote-unquote a lost episode of star trek so you know after years of people you know religiously watching the original 78 episodes and all of a sudden wow you know something new we had never seen before and uh there's just enough significant difference between the cage and the menagerie to make it worth watching and make it a, a pretty interesting viewing really it's a it's a neat little movie
0: the, the thing I remember is right before Next Gen came on, you couldn't turn on the channels that were going to show Next Gen without like Star Trek marathon. Oh yeah, like, hourly. And we were having like a little get together with some family friends, and the the, the John Ferrar and his wife Peggy, who were friends. John Ferrar worked with my dad at one point, came over, and it was like summer, so we were having a cookout. And they were sitting around talking about Star Trek. Now, I didn't know at this time that my dad was a fan of Star Trek. This is where I found out. Oh, wow. And, it, and suddenly it made sense why we had that Starfleet technical manual on the on the, <laughs> the bookcase. But he liked the original series. And they were talking about the fact that the cage had just been shown, and Peggy, who was apparently a bit of a fan of Star Trek II, <clears throat> I'm sure she was a fan of the film, but of Star Trek as well, Um was talking about how she was watching the cage and she's like I've seen this before and then it, and she, it, she was basically explaining how it dawned on her that the menagerie reused footage from it and i was just like well that's kind of interesting <laughs> you know for someone to to have that weird feeling of deja vu while they're watching <laughs> you know the cage right. without putting two and two together so. <laughs> uh Next up, though, we have, if you think Showcase was great before, wait till you see how it looks today. We have a cover of Showcase number 94 with the new Doom Patrol. I know I used to have this issue when I was
1: a kid. I wonder what in the world I ever did with it, because I don't have it today but I know I used to and I liked this issue and I'm trying to remember who might have done the interiors cuz this cover I'm pretty sure is a Jim Aparo but I don't know who uh who did the interior work on that
0: But yeah that's I think needed. I have this I know I know I have an issue of the showcase with Doom Patrol in them god that would make good back to the bins
1: I've got the next one I've got number 95 but I don't have this this issue's number 94 and I don't have that one but uh
0: We'll actually be covering a couple issues of this in the future. Yes. Mm-hmm. Because you have the three-issue uh, Origin of Power yep. Girl, which was very rare at the time. Yep. To have that kind of uh, continuing. Uh, we have more amazing air-breathing crabs. Again, I got a comb for that. <laughs> uh, ew. What a weird social disease. Crabs. <laughs> um, and look... And looking through the rest of the issue, you've got uh, the retelling of the original Swamp Thing saga, book one and two, 50 pages, no ads. I've
1: got those, and they are nice. They are nice, because uh, for the longest time, that was the only way that uh, that you could even touch some of those original Bernie Wrightson um, issues of Swamp Thing was through reprints, because they, they were so expensive and hard to find. I don't know that they still go for... A whole lot of money. I think the lot like the very first issue, like Swamp Thing number one, I think is worth a lot of money. But the other subsequent issues, I think you can get them relatively cheap. But back in the day, man, they were impossible to find.
0: We have a half-page ad of just imagine five stories featuring the mightiest, mightiest heroes of our time in five-star superhero spectacular.
1: I love that issue, and uh, you know, I really need to reread it, because I can't remember a damn thing about it. I remember the Batman story, and it has fantastic art. I can't remember who does the art in it. It's got a nice cover, too. But uh, oh, and, it's been so long since I've read it,
0: I can't, I can't remember anything about it. And my favorite ad from this entire issue, the Great Superman Movie Contest. Mm-hmm. In fact, in the uh, text piece, there is a thing at the very bottom that says, The Great Superman Movie Contest A, and basically you had to go through the DC books and find the letters that spell out Superman and mail them in. And you had two first prizes, a role in the upcoming Superman movie, plus an expense-paid trip to visit the offices of DC Comics. That's... And... I forget where I found this out, but I've seen the picture of the two guys that won this contest. They were in... I was going to let you. Oh. Because <laughs> you know, too.
1: So well, I was in the uh, the Smallville scene at the at the football field.
0: Yeah, there were two of the football players uh, won this contest. So... Because usually you see these contests and you never know where they won or what happened to them or, you know, or who won. But it was kind of neat finding out that... Uh, that two two lucky young kids basically got to be got to be in a scene that didn't involve Superman at all except for Jeff East. <laughs> what a so ring They were robbed. <laughs> but they have five thousand second prizes. A choice of Secret Origins of DC Superheroes Book. Which is awesome. Now here's where I've got to ask you a question. Mm-hmm. Copies of the upcoming Warner paperback novels of Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman. Now, I know there were two Superman novels. Were there ever any Batman and Wonder Woman novels?
1: See, I tried to do some research on that not long ago because this is going back probably three, four, five years. I'm not sure. At Once again, the local flea market. I chanced across a novel. The author's name was Ron. I'm presuming it's pronounced Goulart. It's G-O-U-L-A-R-T. This is a prose novel of challengers of the unknown. I had no fucking idea that something like this existed. Didn't he
0: write the Empire Strikes Back novelization? No,
1: that's um, um, Donald F. Glott. But yeah, this guy wrote something else, too. I can't... yeah... Because that name, yeah, I was about to say that. Yeah, name's that name's familiar. Really, freaking, yeah. freaking familiar. Yeah, he, he had something else to do in, in geekdom that's famous. Can't think of what it is. But, yeah, when I chanced across this, it just blew me away. I, I mean, I had no idea that DC, beyond those two Superman books, had done any other prose books, you know, back in the day. You know, today they've got, you know, quite a few of them out. But I'm talking, you know, from like Last Son of Krypton and before or or even, you know, in that same general era. So whether or not, though, that Batman and Wonder Woman novel ever materialized, I honestly don't know. I tried to research that some time ago and I could find precious little information. For some reason, as well categorized as comic books are, the prose novels related to comic books don't seem to be... Covered very well at all because there was a whole series yeah. of Marvel novels right around this yeah. same time.
0: Written by Lynn Ween and Marv yep. Wolfman and
1: Archie Goodwin. Yeah, I, they. Uh... I can find names, like titles of those books, and that's about it. I can't find anything anywhere that even tells if the books are worth a shit or not or what happens
0: there. They're, they're not. I read one, it was <laughs> It was the Hulk one. It was kind of disappointing. Oh, that's too bad. I, I, I've i got one or two. I
1: know I've got the Spider-Man one. It's like the crime web or some fucking thing. I can't remember what it's called. But, but uh, yeah, there, there was there was one that was the Avengers. And then there was one that's just called something like... I is it's just called, like, Marvel superheroes or something. It's got fucking mean, everybody's in it. It's got Super <laughs> and Spider-Man, and Hulk, and the Avengers, and the X-Men, and everybody. So it looks, you know, just judging a book by its cover,
0: looks like it should be awesome because everybody's in it. But, you know, like I said, I can't find any information. <laughs> you also got year subscription of The Amazing World of DC Comics? That's a damn good book. And I cannot believe what the back issues of Jesus. that
1: go for. Because every issue oh that I've God. ever bought... I've bought for a dollar or less. And I went on eBay the other day just for shits and giggles. I was thinking, you know, I'd really like to finish my run of Amazing World of DC comics. Yeah, right.
0: You'd have to be stinking filthy rich to get. I mean, they go for a lot of money. I have one issue. I have the Superman issue.
1: And uh-huh. I paid like
0: 15 bucks for it. And I felt it was worth it. You know, something like that. You can't find those no, in you just can't. your average 50 cent bin. So, you know, th- there are certain things that I am willing to plunk down money for. Uh, you know, like, good money for. Like, I paid, like, 20 twenty, thirty 30 for that, you know, Secret Origins of the DC Superheroes. Because that was just worth it to <laughs> me. To have it. But, uh, also copies of the all-new Superman vs. Wonder Woman, Superman vs. Muhammad Ali, and Legion of Superheroes, Size Comics. I really need to pick up that those Superman versus Wonder Woman, the Superman versus Shazam—that one's excellent.
1: Superman versus Shazam, that one's fantastic, man. And you know, we we have a request, um, over on Back to the Bins, not to not to keep crossing the streams too much, but uh, sure. uh, we have a listener request to cover uh, Superman versus Muhammad Ali, and I would love to because you know that book. I'd love to. Have it a isn't of it. as goofy as people might, you know, if you've never read it and you think, "Oh, that's got to be one stupid book." No, it's not. It's really fucking awesome.
0: No, they go to a planet with a red sun and Muhammad Ali trains him in boxing and then beats the piss he out does. of one of He does. He
1: does. Super he, uh Muhammad Ali fucking owns Superman. <laughs> but what the best thing about it is not only is the story silly or stupid like you might think it might be, but the neil adams are in that even if that story had been completely moronic and like a spidey super story or something the simple fact that that neil adams brought his a game to that makes it an event it's really something
0: yeah i, I that's one of the books that is on the list to uh to get definitely at some point really need to really need to get it uh, I'd like to, I'd like to have that book um that's pretty much it unfortunately it was kind of a disappointing month uh, months uh, in this book at least uh, disappointing week i guess i should say uh uh, for for ads, uh, kind of bummed out
1: actually. Well, we can we can alleviate some of that uh, disappointment with just covering some of the awesome books that were appearing oh, elsewhere yes. in the DC multiverse at the time. There were some fantastic books came out in this particular month. You got limited collector's edition C fifty one.
0: Just that which we mentioned last yeah, week.
1: Yeah, love the cover on that and all the stories in there were fantastic. Batman's first battles with the- little,
0: little too close to Robin's junk for my <laughs> taste, but you know what are you gotta do. You
1: got uh Superman three fourteen. I think this issue has yeah, have something or other to do with uh oh what the hell's that guy's name. The the dude who was like the Kryptonian he was like a human rondor.
0: Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, I think oh God. That
1: resolved that. Oh, I like that story.
0: I think that's. I'm that's not cool. a big fan. I'm sorry. Oh, that guy was. Cool. I remember it. I. Uh, you talked about it before, and I and I think it was like, oh yeah, I remember that story. That I really started thinking about that story. And went, oh jeez.
1: It doesn't make any
0: sense, but it's still. <laughs> it doesn't make a lick of sense. No, it doesn't. But <laughs> hey,
1: that's you know that's that's this era of of Superman <laughs> for you.
0: Um, that, that team. T- oh, okay. go ahead, no. That that Teen Titans number forty nine looks kind of cool, with uh, Robin and uh, and Speedy and Wonder Girl and Kid Flash, you know, getting beaten up by the Rocket Rollers. (laughs) (laughs) Once again, you have the Harlequin in there. Rich Buckler was a busy dude during this period. Another, yes, he was. Oh my God, I love the cover to World's Finest number two forty six.
1: Oh, which one's this? Oh, yeah. <laughs> he's got his son like chained up or something, and I love it. Oh, it's a twin brother. Adams? It says twin brother. Yeah, yeah, that's Neil
0: Adams. You can't mistake yeah. Neil Adams. <laughs> oh, it. it's like the man, the, the 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 twin in the iron chains. <laughs> No. Uh, so
1: you're gonna say that Aquaman? Yeah, Aquaman issue? regained his own title with uh, with number fifty seven. Didn't last long though, unfortunately. Uh, I think sixty three or sixty four was the was the last issue. So yeah, he came back just in time to get canceled all over again. But uh, the the Jim Apparel art in uh, in Aquaman stories of that period is just fan frickin' tastic.
0: And I actually, oh sorry. no, go ahead. I actually really love this issue of action that they have up 474. I don't think I've ever read that one. It was, what was his name? Something Nevada. Oh, Johnny Nevada? Johnny Nevada uh, was having on his talk show a bunch of people that look like Superman and Dr. Lights in the audience, and it's actually kind of a neat little story. I really I like that cover, too. That was one of the first... When I started seriously getting Superman back issues of this era, this was one of the first ones I found in a 50-cent box in really good condition, too. <laughs> so it will always be special because of it. Got a Swamp Thing joins the
1: uh, Challengers of the Unknown in Challengers of the Unknown, number 82. I've got... a. That's so fucking weird. It is weird, but I, 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 that's all of the challenges, of the unknown that I have in my collection are are only the issues where Swamp Thing and eventually Dead Man join their team for just a little bit, and uh, yeah, it's some weird ass stuff, but it's actually pretty cool too. It's it's just weird to see anytime you got like a, a bunch of human beings and then Swamp Things hang.
0: It's like what the what. And you know what they're thinking? God, this guy stinks. He stinks. He smells terrible. We've got a uh, Super Team Family, Green Lantern, and Hawkman. I wonder if I have that issue. I mean, I love. I think, I've, I think I've got like one issue of Super Team Family.
1: I liked that book just because it was always weird mashups. You know, they always had interesting. Interesting character mashups and stuff, but I don't know if I have that particular issue.
0: We uh, we kind of talked about it, uh, I think last episode or was it this episode? Uh, the Detective Comics issue four seventy yeah. one, yeah. The Englehart Rogers, yep.
1: Records. Hugo Strange, yeah. Uh, Love that stuff.
0: What a icky looking cover, though. Yeah, he's ripping his face off. <laughs> that's a really that's a really badass Jota Hex cover, by yeah. the way. I love this
1: stuff from, from Jonah Hex, especially the the early issues. Got a Green Arrow was still part of Green Lantern at this time, although this is way past the. Uh,
0: yeah, this is when it, after it came back from hiatus. Yeah, think so, Mike uh, Grell was Mike Grell. Was Grell yeah. yeah, yeah. Let's see, Denny O'Neill and Mike Grell. That's not a bad combination, not at all, not at all. And I love Grell on Green Arrow, just period. Mm-hmm. He was he was kind of born to draw that character. Though I love the issue, it was in his '80s series. Uh, I think it was drawn by Dan Juergens, who kind of had a Grell style to him, mm-hmm. where they 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 basically had either Travis Morgan or Oliver Queen getting their ass kicked because somebody mistaked them for the other guy <laughs> <laughs> because they look so much alike. <laughs> That Batman covers.
1: I was just going to say, that's a uh, Grell cover on uh, on Batman 290 there. That's, uh, what's that guy's name? Dr. Zin Zin or something like that. Yeah, yeah, he's got some weird name. Skulljoy,
0: Skullduggers, Killjoy Capers. Who the hell is David Vern Reed? <laughs> he's the writer on there. Oh, he, he goes back to the Golden Age. Good God. I must be thinking of a different... I must be thinking a
1: different uh villain I was thinking that was that there's that doctor he's like it's like TZIN dash TZIN or something Dr. Zin I know who you're talking that's about that's who I thought this yeah. guy was but it's not him at all it's Skull Duggery whoever the fuck he is <laughs> never heard of him I have this issue and I don't think I've ever read it
0: I really need to track down more of those.
1: I say that a lot, don't I? I've got a lot of comics yeah. that I've never made time to read. This. Oh, you and me both, brother. You and me both. Good God in heaven! Pitiful. It's pitiful to have so many awesome old books and then they just they just sit there and rot because I don't have time to read them. Oh my God. So, so what else do we got? Um, that's about it. Except uh, I, I had this idea to do almost uh, not 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 so much a comedic spotlight, but almost like a like a, I don't know what you would want to call it. I was going to do a character spotlight, but rather than do like an, an actual JSA member, do a, a character spotlight on FDR, but I didn't really have time to do proper research on the fictional DC version of FDR. All I could find was like Wikipedia entry on like the real guy, but... Maybe it's further down the road when we get to uh All Star Squadron we should seriously consider doing that because he, he was just as much a, a character
0: in a lot of ways in that book as Oh, an All Star Squadron? Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. And he was like one of the it was one of the better uses of a real historical figure in a book. Yep. Yeah. 'Cause because what I love, and I know it's kinda of jumping ahead, but it's not really giving away too much. I love the fact that him and the Atom had a special kind of bond, basically. I almost said a special friendship. Uh, Yeah, I was just going to say, where are you going with this? But (laughs) no, but because the Atom saved him in this story, Mm -hmm. he was one of the heroes FDR trusted the most. Like, he was the one that could just show up and talk to FDR whenever he wanted to, which I guess after you save your. Save his life and become a douchebag. <laughs> hey, uh, Mr. President of the Adams here to see you. Oh, would you fucking get rid of it? God, tell I'm not here. I see your wheelchair, old man. Now,
1: again, not not spoiling ahead or anything, but I know that this origin story gets addressed again post-crisis. And I'm wondering, do they basically retell the same story, but just replacing key people like Superman and Batman, or does it actually I think
0: change? Think they're eliminated altogether? Yeah, I think it, I, it's a Secret Origins issue. In fact, it was Roy Thomas's last Secret Origins issue, right? Uh, but we'll be covering that book at some right. point. Uh, but I, 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 it's been like literally about over a
1: decade since I've yeah, worked. me too. And I'm, I'm, that's why I'm trying to remember if it was. If it was the same exact story, but just a couple characters were replaced, or I if think it if was. changed, you know, at, at all, and I, can, I honestly can't remember. So I'd be curious when we get there to, to rediscover that one. Well, the last thing I've got for this is that this story, DC Special Number Twenty Nine, is reprinted and collected in two different places in uh, nineteen seventy nine. It was reprinted in the Best of DC Number Twenty One. And then in 2006, in the Justice Society Trade Paperback, Volume 1.
0: Now, the best of DC was one of those digest-sized books, right?
1: I believe so. Most of the issues. I think it was one of those that, that did change. I think most of the issues were digest-sized. But I think at the by the end, either at the end or at the beginning, there may have been a couple that were actually like treasury-sized, if I'm not mistaken.
0: 'Cause I think this no offense to Joe State, but I think his artwork would suffer from being oh, absolutely. down like that. Yeah. So uh so yeah, but yeah, check it out. It's the last story in that first volume of the Justice Society trades. So easy to get. You've been listening to Tales of the Justice Society of America, hosted by Scott H. Gardner and Michael R. Bailey.
1: You can email the show by writing to JSA at gmail.com.
0: You can find the show at two, yes, count them, two websites. The first being www.fortressofbailey2.com. You can also find the show and subscribe to it through iTunes at
1: www.twotruefreaks.com.
0: Scott has two other podcasts that he co-hosts on a weekly basis. The first is Two True Freaks, which Scott hosts with his childhood friend and former weightlifting partner of Lou Ferrigno, Chris Honeywell. Then there's Back to the Bins, which Scott co-hosts with a cavalcade of podcasting's finest hosts. Both of those can be found at www.twotruefreaks.libson.com.
1: Mike has two other podcasts he hosts or co-hosts as well. The first is Views from the Long Box, which Mike hosts all by his lonesome for the most part. And you can find that at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com. Then there's the From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, which Mike hosts with Jeffrey Taylor. That show can be found at both www.supermanhomepage.com and www.fortressofbaileytude.com.
0: Thank you for listening, and join us next week as we present more tales of the Justice Society of America.
1: Oh, hold on there listener before you go hi guys scott here for one last bit of late breaking news if you're anywhere nearby to atlanta georgia then be sure to get your ass to the atlanta comic convention on february 7th from 11 a.m to 5 p.m michael bailey and i will be attending and we would love to meet some of our listeners there that's the one day show, Sunday, february seventh, from eleven AM to five PM in Atlanta, Georgia. And you can find details including directions at atlanta comic convention all one word dot com. And tell him you heard about it from us, okay? Hope to see you guys there.